Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Catt. Before there was ever a garden in Eden, there was a cross at Calvary. Before Adam and Eve ever existed, God had planned out their redemption through the cross. It says in Mark chapter 15, verse 25, and it was the third hour when they crucified him. Jesus Christ, because he was God's son, had the power to avoid the cross, but he didn't. In fact, he had said earlier that no man takes his life, he lays it down on his own initiative, and that he would pick it back up. Jesus Christ knew when he came to this earth that he was facing the cross to pay the price for man's sin. Now, there are many people who give graphic descriptions about what happened on the cross, the physical torment and punishment that Jesus went through. In fact, Isaiah prophesies about the crucifixion, and he says that when Jesus Christ was crucified, he had been so beaten, and the scars of sin had taken on his body so much that he didn't even resemble a man. You could not even tell that he was a human being. You would not have recognized who he was. The gospel writers don't spend a lot of time on the physical suffering of Jesus. Rather, they deal, as Paul does in the epistles, with the purpose of the cross, why Jesus came to die on the cross, and they specifically deal with people around the cross, those who were spectators, those who were bystanders, those who were involved in the process. And so what I want us to do tonight is look at several of these, as time permits, who are around the cross, who are in the events leading up to the cross of Christ as we're working our way through Mark's gospel. And we're now in chapter 15. And I don't want to begin reading in verse 2, for I want us to see, first of all, Pilate, who was there but didn't want to be there. Pilate wanted to cop out. Mark 15, chapter 2 says, Pilate questioned him, Are you the king of the Jews? And answering him, he being Jesus, said to him, It is as you say. And the chief priests began to accuse him harshly. And Pilate was questioning him again, saying, Do you make no answer? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now look at verse 12, if you would. And answering again, Pilate was saying to them, Then what shall I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, Crucify him. Pilate, according to historians, was a ruthless and cruel Roman leader. In fact, he was so ruthless, he was sent to Judea. He was sent there for the purpose of keeping the Jews under control. There was no nation that gave the Roman Empire more trouble than the nation of Israel. It was always seemed that they were having to be put under control. Pilate was there for that very reason. As the leader of that nation, as the one representing Caesar in that part of the world, he would have heard about this controversial religious leader, Jesus Christ. He would have also heard that he claimed to be establishing a kingdom. He would have heard about the great crowds that were following him. He would have known that people by the thousands were massing in support of Jesus Christ. This would not have been a person that escaped his notice. He comes to this situation and he says, What shall I 
do with him. Pilate is on the hot seat. For if he accepts who Jesus says he is, he will never be the same. It will cost him his job. It will cost him his position of authority. Everything will change about his life. But if he rejects who Jesus says he is, then that's going to cost him all hope of eternal life and of knowing God. So he is on the hot seat. And if you'll notice in verses 2 and verse 5, Jesus never defends himself. He merely says, it is as you say. Jesus Christ does not stand before Pilate fearful and frightened, fighting for his life as every other criminal had done. This amazed Pilate. Pilate could not believe that he had the power to have Jesus Christ crucified in his hands, in the words of his mouth, he could send him to be crucified and have him done away with. And yet here stands Jesus, not defending himself, not begging, not cowardly groveling at the feet of Pilate, but he stands still and silent. And he says, it is as you say. What Jesus was saying there was, Pilate, you're in charge of this nation. You already know everything about me. You know that I have said I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You know that I have said I'm the only way to the Father. You know all the claims I've made about myself. You've read the stories. You've heard the accounts. Your soldiers have reported to you what's happened because they would never let a crowd of people gather without Roman soldiers being around. It's been reported to you about my miracles. You've heard about all the things that I've done. You know the claims I've made. I don't have anything else to say. This amazed Pilate. When Jesus said, it is as you say, he said, in fact, you said it. I'm the king of the Jews. Now I have nothing more to say. Here is a man that has been beaten through the night, who has been arrested and beaten and cursed and abused, and he stands calm, cool, and collected before the leader of the nation and says, you know who I am. I don't have anything else to say to you. You know exactly who I am. I am nothing more and nothing less than the Son of God, and you know that I claim that for myself. What is a man to do when someone stands in front of him and says without ever blinking his eyes, you know who I am? Now, what are you going to do about it? I'm not going to tell you again. In fact, what Jesus was doing by not answering Pilate, he was demanding that Pilate capitulate to Jesus. In effect, what he was saying was, Pilate, you already know the claims I've made, and since you know them, you know that you shouldn't be on the judgment seat. I should be on the judgment seat judging you. In fact, Pilate, I am judging you right now by whether you accept me or reject me. Pilate is totally amazed, and he goes and he says, what am I going to do with this man? So he decides a couple of options. First of all, he says, well, I'll just let the people decide. And as you put the gospel accounts together on the accounts of the crucifixion, you know that Pilate came up with a great idea. He said, well, it's the custom of the Jews that they pick one person and set them free during Passover. I'll pull Barabbas out. They would never choose to set free a hardcore criminal and kill a carpenter preacher. But he brings Barabbas out and the people are swelled up against Jesus and those that have gathered there say, we want Barabbas, give us Barabbas. 
Well, that plans out. He was going to let the people decide for him so he wouldn't have to make the decision. He wouldn't have the lines drawn on his life. He'd say, well, I didn't make the decision. The people said they wanted Jesus, and so I had to give him to him. But the people turned on him, and they wouldn't make the decision. Then he heard that Herod was in town. And Herod had been given the ability to govern over Judea. And since Jesus was from Judea, he said, well, let's just send Jesus to Herod and let Herod take care of it. It's Herod's problem. And Herod mocked him and beat him and sent him back and said, Pilate, I'm not going to mess with this. I'm having too big a party over here. It's your problem to deal with. And so there comes the knock at the door. Who is it? Pilate. They brought Jesus back and said, you must make the decision. Pilate didn't want to make the decision. He wanted to cop out. And in John chapter 19, verse 9, I want you to turn there if you would. John 19, verse 9. Jesus never comes to his own defense. I find this incredible about Christ. And oftentimes in my ministry and in my life, I've found myself put in those situations where I must respond in a way not like I want to respond, but in a way that Jesus would respond, and that is not coming to your own defense. John chapter 19, verse 9, And he entered into the praetorium and said again to Jesus, Where are you from? He's totally amazed by Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. You know why? Pilate knew where he was from. He knew the claims. He knew everything. He said, you've got all the information you need, Pilate, to make your decision. You just don't want to admit who I am. You don't want to really come to grips with who I am. And in verse 10, Pilate therefore said to him, you do not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Now Jesus answers. And he says, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. Now you know what Jesus is saying there? <laughs> He's saying, Pilate, I don't get any harebrained ideas, son. I'm not the one on trial. You are. Don't get any funny notions about how much power you've got because the only reason you've got power over me is because I've given it to you. Because the cross is in my plan. Don't get any cute little ideas in your head about how awesome and powerful you are. I'm not the one on trial. You're the one on trial. And in fact, if you reject me, it will only be because I have rejected you. He stands before Pilate unmoved. And in verse 12, as a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. You know why Pilate made efforts to release him? Because Pilate knew the truth. Pilate knew who Jesus was. He knew that he was standing in front of the authority of God, God's Son in the flesh. And because he knew that, and he knew, and Jesus had called his bluff on his claim for authority, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. And when Pilate therefore heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the pavement. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold, your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. 
So he then delivered him to be crucified. Now here, Pilate is the only person in all of Israel that has the authority to condemn Jesus to death by crucifixion. And if you remember in the other gospel accounts, Pilate takes a wash basin and he washes his hands and he declares his innocence. And yet because he is the only one who had the authority and the power to condemn Jesus to death by crucifixion, he also declared his guilt. He tried to cover it up. Why did he give in? Why did he not release Jesus like he knew in his heart he should? It's right there in the text. You're no friend of Caesar if you let Jesus go. You see, Pilate gave in because of his fame, because of his fortune, because of his position, and because of his power. You see, Pilate, historians tell us, was a friend of Caesar. And they knew that. And so they said, you are no friend of, of Caesar's. If you release him, you're no friend of Caesar's. Ray Stedman says, trying to please two opposing forces, Pilate is stripped naked before all of history. And we see this man in his true character. He is a coward, afraid to make a decision. Instead of deciding on the basis of justice, he decides on the basis of expediency. History and tradition tells us that within five years after the time of the death of Christ, that Pilate went mad. Why? Because he had truth in the flesh standing in front of him, and he rejected it when he had a chance to accept it. Pilate wanted to cop out, but there was another group there. Another person was there, and that was Simon. Verse 21, Mark chapter 15. Mark 15, verse 21. Simon was there out of compulsion. Now, I'm sure he had showed up to try to figure out what was going on and why the crowd had gathered. Verse 21 says, They pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, to bear his cross. They pressed him into service. He didn't volunteer. Jesus began to fall down under the weight of that cross, and they grabbed Simon out of the crowd and said, You, you, you come here and you carry the cross. He didn't raise his hand and say, I'll do it, I'll carry it, I'll bear that load. He was pressed into service. Simon found himself at the cross out of compulsion, not because he wanted to be. A lot of people end up at the cross out of compulsion. A lot of young people end up at church out of compulsion. Mom and Dad say you're going to go, and so you go if you want to live under that roof. And so you're there out of compulsion, not because you want to be, but because they've said you have to be. Some husbands come to church because their wives nag them to death, and so they end up at church just to keep their wife from nagging them about coming to church all the time. People come out of compulsion. I love it when people come out of compulsion, especially when young people come out of compulsions, and, and I get to do a lot of youth camps, and, and I, I can hear these guys and gals, and they, they reach a certain age, it's almost a magic age, and they begin to say, i tell you one thing, when I get older, I'm never going to church. Really, why is that? My mama made me. Hmm. So I got a question for you. Your mama made you take baths when you were growing up. You going to quit growing, taking baths when you get older? Because if you are, we all want to know. 
Because all the sure in the world is not going to help you. What I would say to those who are there out of compulsion is simply this. I hope that you live to the point where you can say thank you to those who brought you out of compulsion. Those who grabbed you up by your neck and said, come on, you're going to the cross. I hope you live long enough to appreciate the fact that somebody loved you enough to bring you to Jesus Christ and to give you the opportunity to know Him and to know His power. There was a third group that was there. They were the Roman soldiers, verses 16 through 20. They got into the action. They mocked Jesus. They hit Him uh, repeatedly with reeds and with fists. They put the crown of thorns on Him. They spit at Him. These Roman soldiers were there. These were hardened, tough men. They were violent men. The Roman soldier was the most disciplined, trained soldier in the history of civilization up to that time. There was no better fighter than the Roman soldier. He knew how to inflict pain like no other soldier had ever been trained to inflict pain. But these soldiers were bitter soldiers. They were in the worst part of the Roman Empire serving their time. They didn't want to be there. They didn't like being there. And most of all, they hated the Jews. And here was a chance for them, for this one that was called the King of the Jews, to take out their prejudice and their bigotry and their anger and their hatred on one that had never done anything to them. So they beat him and they mocked him and they spit on him. And they pressed the crown of thorns on his head. Here was love personified. Here was one who said, love your enemies. If a Roman soldier tells you to carry a package for a mile, you carry it two miles. If he hits you on one cheek, you turn the other cheek. Here was one who never promoted rebellion against these soldiers, and yet they were cold and they were callous and they were indifferent to the love of God. They were there to spill out their hatred. And you know, the incredible thing about Christianity is this. Christianity is the only faith, the only one. You won't find it in any other religion. It is the only faith that really believes the truth of Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in His sight. It's the only one. It's the reason why we do missions all over the world. Because we know God is not a God of a certain culture or a certain race or a certain group or a certain socioeconomic strata. God is the God of all men who desires that all men come to repentance and find redemption in Jesus Christ. And the ones who hated him and beat him, he later sent his disciples after the resurrection and said, go tell them the good news. You know, I've got a feeling that at the resurrection, Jesus said to his disciples somewhere along in those 40 days before he ascended into heaven, I've got a feeling he said to them now, I want you, I want all you guys over here, I want you to go and I want you to find those religious leaders that were screaming, crucify him, and I want you to tell them that I love them. And I want you guys over here, I want you to go to those Roman soldiers who were beating me and mocking me, and I want you to tell them that I love them.
You know why I think Jesus said that? Because on the cross he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That's the love of God. Only God could love somebody that much. The soldiers were there. Then there were the religious leaders that were there. Verse 10 of chapter 15. The chief priest had delivered him up because of envy, but the chief priest stirred up the multitude to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. Verse 29 of Mark chapter 15. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha! You who were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priest also among the scribes were mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. You know what? They were right. He couldn't save himself. He could not save himself if he was going to save them. The ones who mocked him, who ridiculed him, who laughed at him, who cursed him, he could not save himself or else they couldn't have salvation offered to them. Now here's what happened. This is the weekend of the Passover and these religious people were very meticulous in keeping all the ceremonial laws and they had cleansed themselves and prepared themselves for the Passover. And one of the things that you couldn't do during the Passover is you could not come in contact with the Gentile. That's us. Anybody's not Jews or Gentiles, so that's us. So, the, you know, you couldn't come in contact with a Gentile. So they could not go inside the house of a Gentile, which was Pilate. So they stood outside the judgment hall of Pilate, and they called Pilate out to them so that they could accuse and condemn Jesus before Pilate. Here were men who were so cold and so hard-hearted and yet so religious that they kept all the little details of washing their hands and washing their feet and making sure all their religious clothing was straight. And at the same time, they were trying to kill the only person that ever loved them unconditionally. The religious leaders were there to condemn him. They had murder in their hearts. They were cynical about Jesus. These men who had once feared Jesus were now arrogant toward him. These men who had once been terrified of Jesus are now terrorizing him. They had a form of religion without the power. They came before Jesus and their hearts being cold. They hated the one who showed them love and mercy and grace. But then there's a last person that I want you to see. And I think it's appropriate that the gospel writers leave this one to last. Verse 37. I want you to see the centurion who got a second chance. Verse 37, And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. The centurion was there that day. 
As a Roman, he believed in multiple gods. They had God of the sun and God of the moon and the God of love and the God of wine and the God of sex and the God of everything. They had all kind of gods. It was a pagan culture. You had a God for everything. But he noticed something about this one who claimed to be God that he had not seen before. Now, as a centurion, he was a ruler over a hundred men. It was the centurion's charge and duty that once Pilate turned Jesus over to the centurion, it was the centurion's responsibility to stay with the whole process until Jesus was dead and gone. He had to stay there and observe and watch everything that was happening. He watches as the religious leaders come by and mock him and tell him to save himself. He watches as Simon is pressed into service. He watches and what happened in Pilate's house. He has seen everything that's happened around the foot of the cross and he hears the response of Jesus. He watches the eyes of Jesus. He listens to the voice of Jesus and he comes to the conclusion that all those people were wrong. And this was the Son of God. The one who died and breathed his last was in fact who he said he was. Here is a man who had believed in all kinds of gods, but he came to the conclusion that this man was the son of God. Not just a good teacher, not a prophet, not a religious leader, but the son of God. This man had been in combat. He had risen in the ranks of the military. He had seen battle. He had seen men die, but he had never seen a man die like this. He had never seen a man react like this. And the death of Jesus brought life to the centurion. And the darkness that covered the earth that day, when God had to turn his back on his only son because of sin, the darkness that covered the earth that day,